Welcome to episode 62 of the Rapid Change Matters podcast, a conversation with hypnotherapist and author of Stop Smoking, It's a Doddle, Daniel McDermott. My name's Howard Cooper, and for over 14 years now, I've been fascinated with helping people to create personal change quickly. But I still come across many who believe that lasting personal change has to take a long time, consisting of reliving traumas or deep psychological analysis, or simply that flawed notion that understanding why you have a problem will somehow make it go away. I'm on a mission to get people who work therapeutically with others to shift their thinking and realize that these beliefs are not written in stone. Rapid change can happen. So, to help you open up to what's possible, I'm chatting with top therapists and agents of change who are out there getting real results with real people really quickly. Before we get to the interview, I've got big news. Rapid Change Works is now running live training events, and you can check out the latest events coming up by visiting rapidchange.works, where you can also download a free, quick-to-read PDF on five strategies to amplify your client's response, along with all the information about this episode and episodes still to come. Now, over to the interview. I have spoken to many hypnotherapists in the past who confessed that despite stopping smoking being one of the very known about hypnotic applications, they prefer not to do it due to often sketchy results. However, today's guest flies in the face of this with hundreds of case studies and social proof about his stopping smoking treatment effectiveness. Daniel McDermott blends a CBT approach with hypnotherapy with a treatment that means clients leave a non-smoker in just one session. Daniel also worked with other issues and his clinic was winner of the UK's Hypnotherapy Business of the Year 2015-16 award presented by the Hypnotherapy Business School. So I'm looking forward to diving into the ring with him today. Welcome to the podcast, Daniel. Hello, Howard. Well, it's absolutely great to have you here. Um, I know we've spoken uh, a little bit before uh, and I'm fascinated to be able to share some of your thinking around all things change with our listeners. So hoping we can dive straight in and, and tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and, and really share with us maybe your origin story, how you got started in all of this. Makes me sound like a Marvel comic character. Yeah. <laughs> the origin story. Absolutely. When yeah. were you bitten by a radioactive hip <laughs> hypnotist? Yes. So uh, quite a few years, over a decade decade ago that happened so mm. uh, basically i come from uh, the best city in the world you know just like yourself i would lead so it's a great place to be brought up had a good good safe upbringing good parents and uh, i really enjoyed my upbringing i did uh, have quite a few social anxieties when i was in my teen years and i had this stammer and it got me interested in the way I was thinking about things at the time. So I decided to explore how I can overcome this. I realized that it was all in my head. Mm. It really was all in my head. And I realized, okay, how can I change that? Well, I've got to change the way that I'm thinking about the way people perceive me. So I realized it was all to do with beliefs. So um, I didn't see a therapist. I just was a little bit brave, went out into the public and decided to uh, speak to people with a stammer. And eventually I became a confident stammerer. So what I found is that my stammering started to reduce. 
Um, I was interested in psychology, so uh, I decided to uh, embark in psychology when I was a teenager. I went to uh, the college, mm. and at that point, I wasn't very academic. I didn't think it was really for me. I was going to become an electrician, in fact. And I went home after speaking with the career advisors. Found it interesting. Ooh, this is about the brain. Brilliant. And I spoke to my old man. I said to him, I'm going to go to college, Dad. I'm going to do psychology. He goes, spell it for me. And I couldn't spell it. So that, that, that was my start in psychotherapy. Okay. <laughs> so, 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 so things have changed a bit. So um, I then went on to do at degree level psychology. Really enjoyed it. But I wanted to want, work one-on-one with people. because I realized my own challenges that I'd had. And I wanted to be able to help people. And I didn't want to just be doing research. So I embarked on my hypnotherapy course with the London College of Clinical Hypnosis. I think I was 19 or 20 years old when I started that. So Mm. really quite young. And I was still a child. I really was still a child back then. And really enjoyed the course. Didn't really feel like I had the adequate skills immediately. So I continued with their studies and we did the cognitive behavioral hypnotherapy course with the LCCH and I was blown away by Albert Ellis's work. It really brought things into a program for me Mm. and I built upon that using different uh, psychologies, philosophies and even theologies and I've created this program that I work with and when I first established my business, when I was either 22 or 23, I think I was, in Leeds Centre, I was very young looking, so I was taking it all very seriously. And I thought to myself, well, smoking is a really, really challenging thing for people. And I had a few friends ask me, can you help me to become a non-smoker? So I helped out a few people and I seemed to be getting some results. But it actually scared me a bit, just like you were saying uh, in the introduction. You know, people are scared to actually treat smokers. I thought, why? Why is it that some practitioners manage to stop people stopping smoking so easily that other people don't? So I did a bit of research on smoking. And just like everything else, I realized, well, no. It's a massive myth that the reason why people find it difficult to quit smoking is because of the biological route, the nicotine. And I started to explore it and realized, hang on, if people are exclusively addicted to nicotine, as they suggest, nicotine replacement therapy would boast a 100% success rate. And hypnosis would have a 0% success rate. Mm. Because practitioners of hypnotherapy cannot trick somebody into thinking they're not physically addicted to a drug that their bodies are dependent to. It just wouldn't work. So I built my program around that myth and the tricks of the mind, how people become obsessed by smoke when they're trying to quit. So it becomes a forbidden fruit. Mm. And because they're trying to escape the thought so much, they then have the compulsion to have a cigarette to, in order to get rid of that thought. So that then becomes a habit. So um, using that, I, through the hypnosis in a session, 
I make somebody a non-smoker. And now that they're a non-smoker, they no longer have a phobia of the thought of smoking. Paradoxically, we get them to embrace a thought. Because the more they think about it, the more they prefer not to smoke. Because it stinks, both literally and figuratively in every single manner. So I get them to hate smoking and love their health. I hope that makes sense. It does. So it's not about so much about helping people give up. It's it's helping them gain something else. Yeah, I believe knowledge is power. Yeah. So um, I remember when I first started using the approach that I used, I realized, gosh, if any other hypnotherapist saw what I was doing with my clients here, uh, lecturing them, actually going through this model and getting them to understand, they think that I was bonkers. But then I realized, hang on a minute, I am getting results here. So I'm not too bothered about it. So I continue going down that route, really making a concise program. And it was only when I met a few people later on in my career that uh, they were they were challenging me about it. I said, well, it's okay for you to claim all this, Daniel, but I want to see proof. So I started getting video testimonials. Yeah. My clients, um, to my knowledge, I'm not sure if I'm if I'm correct on this. So, but to my knowledge, I have more video testimonials than any other individual practitioner on this earth at this point. Yeah, it, it's pretty impressive. And I had a look through, and there's just there's just just tons and tons of people who are absolutely waxing lyrical about the amazing work that you're doing uh, and about the results. And you know, people saying, you know, listen, I, I tried everything. I've tried stuff before been a smoker for 40 years and then they came and saw you and things shifted i i'm curious about something that you mentioned which is you use the phrase you know that you make them a stop uh you make them a non-smoker and there is some debate in the world of hypnosis around you know well are we making people do stuff or are we educating them and they take responsibility for it and and if they're taking responsibility for it then what did you do and so okay. on. So it's, it's yeah. It'd be interesting to explore that a little more. It, it, it depends on semantics a little bit with with the word make, you know. And do you cure or do you um, give people the tools? First of all, they have to want to do it. That's the most essential thing. I would. People have to want to help themselves. And um, in fact, I used this cheesy uh, analogy just the other day in the support groups. People were asking me. I have a support group for people that have bought my online program to help other hypnotherapists. Um, if I was to explain it, imagine that somebody is digging for treasure on a beach. They don't know where that treasure is and they're working hard at it. They're really, really, really working hard to find that treasure. And they keep on digging all these holes. And they might go a whole lifetime and they might not find that treasure. They might come across it by accident it's unlikely mm. what i have is the map i have the shovel i have the tools but i expect them to dig with me yeah and hey it only takes two hours with that map not a lifetime i like it and it also implies that they, they still have a part to play. Yeah, um, everybody has a part to play. Where, where do you stand on, do you do any, because I know a lot of change workers when it comes to stopping smoking, they do the the 100% cast iron guarantee in that if it doesn't work, come back and see me and your next session is free and so on. And Where do you stand on, on guarantees? 
I don't believe in guarantees. You can't guarantee anything in life, in my opinion. And they have to bring that effort in. They have to bring that commitment in. So if you're guaranteeing something, then you're taking away emotional responsibility from that client. Yeah. They they think that you're going to fix them. and They don't have to do anything. Um, you know, we all have to take responsibility for our own health, our own well-being, because otherwise you'll get people go, oh, you know what, I'll just give that a shot. Yeah. So I'll go to the hypnotist. If it can't fix me, then I can tell the missus that it didn't work, and then it's not my fault. I've tried everything, love. Tried everything. Didn't work, did it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think you're. it's absolutely bang on, isn't it? Because the moment someone offers a, a, a guarantee, uh, it, it implies, doesn't it, at some level, that they have nothing, that the client has nothing to do with the process. Yeah. You know? Um, uh, and, and as we know, we do live in a culture of blame, so they will end up blaming the hypnotherapist and not themselves. Yeah. So what's your intake process? I mean, because, you know, I, I'll be honest, I do have people sometimes and they ring me up and they say, make my husband a non-smoker, you know, <laughs> uh, and I have a particular response that I use with them, which, uh, you know, I, I joke with them and say, well, you know, I, 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 you know, if he rings me and he wants to do it, I'll happily, you know, have a chat with him about it. That's uh, the first thing. If somebody else phones on behalf of somebody, then. I make sure that I can speak to that person and that they want to do it for themselves first of all. Yeah. That's that's essential that they want to do it for themselves. Absolutely. Do you ever do you ever follow up with the line that I use which I I go to them but seeing as I've got you on the phone why don't you come and see me and I'll help you be okay with your husband smoking. Yeah, it depends on the condition <laughs> because I don't want them to really be okay with their husband smoking as such, you know. Yeah. <laughs> because um, well, put it this way: I've never, I've never had anyone that's agreed to come and see me on that basis. Oh, yeah, that does sound yeah. like a good idea. Let's let's yeah. do that. Yeah, you know, they need to stop whinging at their husbands, maybe about it, and then they'll come to the conclusion that they want to stop for themselves. As I was saying before, if you make something a forbidden fruit, somebody rebels against it. So I, you know, I, I drink in moderation, healthy amounts, you know. Uh, when I go out, but if somebody, if my wife would say, "Oh, Daniel, you're never allowed to drink again," well, oh no, I'll probably go and get drunk. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah, people rebel, and 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 that's what it is actually. What my treatment is about is actually taking, giving that person that option. That's why they have to want to do it, but realizing that they're free with the choice. Then, okay, so you're giving them that freedom back. And it's up to them what they want to do with that freedom. Okay. How many smokers do you think start because they're rebelling against something? And it's a it's a, a statement of independence, a statement of rebellion. Yeah, uh, you know, m- many people start because of that. As teenagers, you know, they want to fit in, look cool. We've all done it a little bit, you know. Nobody's a saint, are they? I remember being as you know a twelve-year-old boy. We were spliffing it up back then, and I was very lucky. You know, I got out of that circle of people, and uh, I enjoyed my sport. So that took me away from those influences. But not everybody gets away from those influences. They continue to to smoke and rebel, look cool. Um, I had good incentives not to. So I realised, yeah, it's about the incentives a lot of the time. Why do you actually want to quit smoking? So, so I mean, talking about that in terms of the motivation behind why they want to stop, 
Um, is that where you begin to bring the CVT, the cognitive behavioral therapy approaches in, or, or do you use it in other areas? Bring it in all areas. So um, I explain anybody who knows REBT, I use Albert Ellis's form of CBT. And it begins with the ABC model, basically saying, you know, events in our lives appear to cause the consequences, such as smoking, for example, a bad day at work. People think that they smoke because of a bad day at work, when in fact it isn't. It's about the beliefs that you hold towards those events in our lives. And it's the beliefs that cause the consequences. Um, I'm not going to lecture about the whole process, but Hmm. yeah, we have unhealthy beliefs and healthy beliefs. Unhealthy beliefs are demands, dogmas, musts. And that's why with Albert Ellis, it's the masturbation. Um, and we shift those into preferences. So not, not everything's rosy all the time in life, you know. Shit happens. But you need to be able to process that information correctly and accurately and use your cognitions in the correct manner in order to get the result, results that we want in life. So these events don't destroy us. Because some people do go through horrendous hardships, you know, and it can be very, very patronizing if a practitioner say, you know, you go to a practitioner and the practitioner goes, no, everything's brilliant. Don't worry. You know, it really really can be dangerous when they're nodding their head going, oh, everything's fine when it isn't. Yeah, and I think I think the dare I say what I would call them the Rainbow Dreams and Marshmallow Smile Brigade. Yes, uh, who do that? Um, yeah. it, it, it's one thing telling someone something like that, but you know what position does that put in the, the, the client in? And it tends to if they don't feel like they're being listened to or understood or yeah. effectively heard, it makes them go inside and go no no. Things are really yeah. shit. So it does nothing but compound how bad they feel even though they probably have good intentions. They're trying to help them. But instead, their communication is, is putting the other person in a position of compounding negative feelings. Yeah, and it is those negative emotions that we touch upon because the, through the treatment, negative emotions, I, I do question clients and go, do, do you think we need negative emotions? A lot of people go, oh, well, it's good to be positive, Daniel. No, we don't need them. But we do need them because we need to be able to view life realistically and most importantly, threats realistically. So I use an example with clients. Uh, let's say I walk into a room in a foreign country where potentially spiders could kill me. I'm not going to go, well, hey, poison the spider and start celebrating it. Mm-hmm. That would be idiotic. It would kill me. I need to have an element of concern and concern is a healthy negative emotion. So when it comes to smoking, yes, I get people to be concerned about the realistic threats of smoking. The fact that it stinks, both liter- literally and figuratively in every single way, you know, and by embracing that. But they're no longer superstitious and anxious about uh, the thought of smoking. So, so they're embracing it. So th- I'm, I'm curious as to, you know, what your style of hypnosis is um, from, from some of the stuff that we've done previously or talked about. I get the sense that you are more direct and authoritarian. And and is is that true? And if it is, is that more effective because you've done lots of the foundation and the understanding ahead of time? Yeah. So, so sometimes, you know, how... Ha- had somebody put the program right in front of me that I use today, I would have been, oh, gosh, 
can I actually do that? You need to know the foundations and build upon it. And uh, so you need to know what hypnosis is, what it isn't. And then you build upon that. I forgot on the question, Howard. <laughs> I started going off on a tangent. Yeah, then. yeah, no, no. I, it was really about what's the style of hypnosis you use, and yeah, so, so, is, so is most... there, yeah, is there benefit uh, to the what you call it, the, the the foundational stuff? Is that why the direct? I, as as in the question, really, I'm curious about is if you just did the direct hypnosis stuff directly the, the hypnotic stuff without the foundational pieces would it be effective i don't believe so i think you need to know the foundations and build upon those foundations being authoritative is not being aggressive and people sometimes confuse this that actually you want to help that some that person so much that you're going to be brutally honest with them mm. and tough love there is a bit of tough love there. But importantly, you know, there are individual differences. As a as a practitioner, you can see if somebody can take that information. And, you know, I make it a fun program, but it's built on serious foundations. So there's lots of laughing in the treatment. I use examples. They start telling me stories. So there's a lot of emotional coaching that goes on. And there's little puns, little jokes that go along the way. I can you see if somebody has a sense of humor or not because i i do believe that uh humor is emotion intelligence you yeah. know and the fact that they're able to laugh about their condition in the end that they walk away laughing at the fact that they ever thought it was a good idea to have a cigarette and they're laughing at the fact that they're free yeah and i love that and it's it's free um you know you're kind of selling freedom yeah you know, um, and, and a lot of people who are looking at stopping smoking, I think they, I think they, they see it as losing out on something rather than gaining something. So yeah. there's definitely some education. Um, and the people that I've worked with in the past, and I'll, I'll be honest, I, you know, there have been times in my, my past where I shied away from dealing with smokers because my results were a bit sketchy, you know, and then I've played around with some other stuff and, and, and seemed to find some stuff that, that seems to work a little better. But, what I would say is that the people, when when they've stopped, they've always said to me, Howard, you know, I see it as gaining something rather than losing something. And that's always yeah. been quite key to me. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's essential that they actually can see the outcome and what how it's going to benefit them in their life. Yeah, so it's essential, is that? Um, and w w when we look at smoking, you say that you're a bit worried about people quitting smoking. It, Basically, it's the fear of quitting that people have and anxiety and confidence. Basically, with almost every single condition, in my opinion, that's what's causing the condition is that fear. People have a phobia or fear itself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you look at rapid change works, which we're talking about, and that provocative voice that we have as practitioners. It's essential to have that provocative voice in order to get those results. So you're challenging their beliefs because they will come up with every excuse in the book will smokers. Mm -hmm. So you need to actually get them to shift the way that they're thinking about it very, very quickly. Otherwise, they're going to, you know, go back into that way of thinking very quickly. 
So could you give us an example maybe of, uh, you know, a couple of the sorts of excuses they'll throw at you and the way in which you would nip that in the bud? Okay. Um, okay, I used the one before. Um, work's really stressful at times, Daniel, and it's the only thing that I can do to actually escape from that stress. Well, okay. Number, and I, I just say it directly. Well, first of all, that's an excuse because I'm sure that you have colleagues around you who are non-smokers and they manage without the cigarette. Mm. Second of all, you're allowed breaks, but you're not going to be using smoking as an excuse for a break any longer. So I want you to actually meditate on that and go, yeah, we all like moments of self-reflection, time away from things. In fact, that's hypnosis, that's meditation. So a lot of the time, what people think that they're getting from smoking is just a moment of self-reflection, time to themselves, i.e. hypnosis. How interesting. I'm reminded my, my, my son uh, has just started school. Uh, he's only five, and he, he said to me, uh, I said, oh, are you making new friends? And he said, no, I don't want new friends. I don't want new <laughs> friends. I'm happy with my old friends. Yeah. And I said, well, no, it's nice to make new friends. No, I don't want to make new friends, and so on. And then we spoke to him a little bit more, and he suddenly had this uh, i realized what the issue was about he had a belief that when he makes new friends he has to get rid of his old ones ah uh, yes you know he says <laughs> and, I'm, and i'm happy with my old friends and we had this little chat that he can keep his old friends and have some new friends too and that seems to have made a big difference and it strikes me that a lot of the behaviors around smoking are kind of similar it's like i don't want to get rid of it because there's these other little benefits that i don't want to get rid of yeah you know, and yeah. uh, maybe maybe they can just make some new friends as well as keeping the ones that were old and worked for them. The, 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 there are, of course, people who uh, – I've got a video testimony of this couple. And I remember the woman is called Kath, and she was a lovely woman to work with. But she says that she really enjoyed smoking. And she still says in, in the video testimony, you know, it was something that I, I loved. But mm. I realized what it was doing to me. So, you know, the negatives did outweigh the positives in the end. Mm. But getting but getting that through to her is sometimes, yeah, when you talk about your son, I've got a five-year-old boy myself, mm. they're good fun at that age. But one of his best friends from reception, he's just moving to year one, has actually moved away. Yeah. You know, so he, so he has lost that friend. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's always a challenging thing. So this woman did feel like she was losing something. But it's making people... You know, I do go, yeah, you might be thinking that you are losing something, but you're gaining so much more, gaining so much more from being a non-smoker. But only that, not only that, yes, they have that little bit of vulnerability. And they're too proud to have that vulnerability. Mm. So it's actually making people confident with that vulnerability. I'm allowed to be a bit upset that I'm losing something, but I have to be okay with that. I have to be okay with that. I, I really, I really recognize, recognize that. Hey, am I going to be a coward about being a bit vulnerable sometimes? I really like uh, some of the themes here, which is that it's okay to have vulnerability. It's okay to be like, whatever inverted commas I, I, I need here to, to put up the word normal. Um, yes. do, do you think that the world of personal development over applauds positive thinking? Yes. When I teach people my, um, 
okay, I've got a client in front of me and we talk about negative thoughts. Can a negative thought harm us? I ask and they go, well, yeah. Indirectly, it can if they hold the wrong attitude towards that negative thought. So, um, for example, I watch horror movies. Stephen King's one of my favourite authors. Me I love this dystopian uh, novels and um, novels about the end of the world. <laughs> Armageddon, okay? And uh, I find them amusing. But I'm able to look at it. It's complete fiction. It's complete fiction. It's not real. Mm-hmm. So it's the pink elephant. Hey, don't think of a pink elephant. What do you do? You think of a pink elephant. If you tell somebody that they mustn't think of a pink elephant and they're superstitious, something really terrible will happen tomorrow, then they would have a panic attack about a pink elephant. Mm-hmm. I tell them that they are allowed to think of pink elephants. Well, I prefer not to. It's a preference. It's not a brilliant thing thinking of a pink elephant. It's not positive but neither is it negative. They just prefer not to think about one. And if they do, so what? Mm. So so that thought disappears. But we need negative thoughts to view life realistically. It's why I have house insurance. I'm not positive and going, hey, it'll never burn down or nothing will ever happen. No, I have a fire alarm because I think accurately. So it's not about positive thinking. It's not about negative thinking. It's about accurate thinking. That's really interesting. Um, the law, of, the law of accurate thinking, Howard. <laughs> I like it. The law of accurate. Yes. So yes. saith Daniel. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. There we go. Um, Daniel, can 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 you share with us a couple of stories uh, from your time as a change worker that will uh, tickle us, delight us, enthrall us by the speed of transformation? Okay. No pressure, though. No pressure. There was one that I used on a forum not too long ago, and I can speak about this because of the testimony that I have. Mm. Um, there was a man in his 30s who came to see me, and he'd been diagnosed with really, really bad OCD at the age of 14 or 15. So he'd gone nearly 20, about 20 years or so with this OCD. And it would take him hours to leave the house through these rituals, and he basically he'd been been to the different therapist, psychologist, and he'd been pulled up to the ceiling. And he's crying his eyes out about these rituals that he does because he believes that people come into harm's way if he doesn't follow these rituals. Mm. So on a deeper level, he knows that it's not real in some respect, okay? Because every so often you will get a bit of cognitive dissonance where people actually, you know, they're psychotic almost. They believe that what they're doing does result in in actually helping people. But most people on deep level, they deep down know that it isn't, but they still just carry on out the ritual. Mm. And it'll sound a little bit um, unethical, what I'm going to say, the way I did this. But I spoke to the person's doctor made sure that he was, you know, safe to work with. I thought, well, nothing else has worked. Nothing at all has worked for 20 years. And he's tried almost everything. So when he came to see me, we had a bit of a consultation. I explained about demands versus preferences, what he'd been doing to himself, and understanding his OCD. And once he understood everything, 
and he was there smiling, having a bit of a joke with me. I realised, no, this is a very, very rational person in front of me. And he's been tricking himself. He's been making everything a forbidden fruit. Every single psychologist and um, psychiatrist have basically said, you've got to stop these rituals, these compulsions. You've got to try and stop doing it. Mm-hmm. So I questioned them and I go, why, why are you not allowed to do these rituals? Who says you're not allowed to do them? I'm allowed to do them. Who says you're allowed to do them? And he goes, well, I've been told that I've got to try and stop. I've got to stop these. They're ruining my life. And I go, I'll tell you what, you're a bit of a wizard, you, aren't you? Because what do you mean you're a bit of a wizard? I'm a bit of a wizard. I go, being able to uh, stop people coming to harm's way with all these rituals. He goes, you're taking a mick, don't you? I am a little bit. I'm just trying to push your buttons just a little bit so you can understand what's going on here. And he goes, okay. Well, well, okay. I understand that it's not real. I go, I'll tell you what, we could go out into the city centre. We'll get some fruit boxes, we'll stand on them, and uh, we'll preach it. Behold, behold, by following these rituals, everybody that you know will not come into harm's way. You will preserve them through these rituals. And he goes, you're taking a mic, don't you? But he was laughing when I was saying it. You know? yeah, You've yeah, got to yeah. build up that rapport enough with a client. So I wouldn't use this with everybody, Howard, okay? Because that would be unethical. But with this gentleman, I could. And he's there laughing at me. I go, I'll tell you what. This next week, I don't want you to avoid trying to do these rituals because that's what we've been doing. We've been avoiding it. Or trying to, which made him have the compulsion to do it because he just became obsessed. And I prepared for this man and I bought him a wizard hat. I says, every time you're doing the rituals, I want you to wear these, this wizard hat. Oh, I think that's beautiful. He got bored within a week. Mm. He suddenly saw it as child's play for what it was. Because it was child's play. He thought he could control. So because I gave him permission to do it, that freedom to do it, he decided, actually, I prefer not to do this. This is nonsense. Over 20 years of OCD, within one week, gone forever. And he's still fine. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. And, and thank you, that, by the way, because I asked you to give me a story that delivers and thralls and tickles, and you did. Right. Another thing, the reason why I do it, Howard, is because because we all have been in situations in life when we haven't thought accurately about things. Mm. This was when I was very young, and this is my own personal example of OCD. I had all sorts of nervous nervous twitches growing up. But uh, in the car, I remember being four or five years old. So I was very young at the time. I don't remember being in the back seat, and I had to blink with my left eye for every single lamppost on the left, right eye for every lamppost on the right when driving past. Otherwise, we might not get home uh, safely. My parents didn't know about this. I was just doing it by myself in the back of the car. So I had this nervous twitch. They didn't understand why. I fell asleep one day, and we got home safely. That completely broke that superstition. Yep. And and that's what we're working with. You're going, yeah, you're allowed to do this, <laughs> but get them, getting them to think accurately about it. There's always going to be a little bit of a challenge where some people believe that they actually are helping themselves and they believe in that supernatural elements of it or, you know, that, that they, that 
and they can't be convinced, but usually people manage to rationalize it very, very quickly. So you can get rapid change very, very quickly, very quickly in one session with people once they understand their condition. And I do believe it is knowledge, you know, and they've got to test themselves a little bit and be a little bit brave. So that man was brave, mm. you know. He so- he followed my instructions, and that's what I was meaning before about, you know, you've got to practice that homework assignment <laughs> and actually make the effort instead of actually going, that hypnotherapist was complete bonkers. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, do you know what? I, I think a lot of people are – hypnotherapy is kind of a, a strange old industry that, that the outsider kind of – uh, witnesses and i don't think they behave in in other industries the same way so uh, the example being if someone has a, a leak uh home and they send for a plumber and the plumber comes in and says well you know i'm oh hang on a second look at this oh, it's a bit of a, a tricky one this uh listen i'm not sure i've got the right part for this let mm. me let me go uh and see if i'm not sure i can fix that uh, but if I, if I bring it back, I come back next week with the right part, probably we can get somewhere. It'd be very strange if they turn around and went, you know what, plumbing doesn't work. Yeah. And not invite you back. Hold on a second. No. Like we, we had a look. We saw what was going on. Maybe we could get somewhere. But I think it would be strange to say the whole of plumbing doesn't work. But, you know, so yeah. many people have gone and seen one hypnotherapist, didn't do what they said, didn't follow suggestion, and then just went hypnotism hypnosis yeah. doesn't work yeah in fact i was working with a young fella on monday who had been to see somebody else uh not in leeds but in a different city um he, he didn't really have rapport with the uh, person that he'd worked with before i don't think too much he was explaining but he, he was willing to give it another chance but imagine how many people aren't willing to give it another chance mm. so already um after that first session, he's managed to watch videos of people being sick on on YouTube, which isn't a very nice thing in itself. And I explain that, you know, you don't have to like it, but, you know, not having that phobia of it. So, yeah, it's a bit nasty. But so he's not scared in the same capacity now when he's going to be on himself. Indeed. You know? Indeed. So. Uh, on a on a, a totally separate note, if people uh, are loving this kind of very direct, very integrated, very sensible uh, approach that's kind of coming through, and they want to find out more, where can they go? How can they get in touch? Um, they can get in touch on my website, which is leads hypnotherapy clinic dot co dot uk. My email should be on that. It's daniel at leads hypnotherapy clinic.co.uk and uh yeah and you can you can find me on facebook as well so just type in daniel mcdermid you'll see my little uh picture that i've had for a little while i look quite young on there i need to change that so there we go fantastic well what we're going to do is we will put all of the links underneath this episode uh nice and easy for people to to get to and um a a question i'd like to to kind of finish up with and tie everything up with is this when we talked about you coming on the rapid change matters podcast is there anything that you thought would come up that you'd like to share but that i just haven't asked you directly um basically when we talk about direct change or an immediate change with people this isn't anything new 
This has been going going on for millennium where people make change. Okay, so I'm going to just bore you for a split second no, please, and all yeah. the listeners. Okay, basically, placebo works, and placebo works, in my opinion, because it takes away the fear of fear. What my treatment actually is based on is taking away the phobia of anxiety itself. So no, the person no longer becomes anxious about becoming anxious. They're confident with their vulnerability. So they no longer phobia fit. They no longer have that phobia of fear. That's what placebo does. It takes away the fear of fear itself. So it's been working for millennium as this. When you look at spiritual healing, when you hear all these um, stories in the past, people do get immediate change. And even now, we see people heal themselves because they're born again, for example. And immediately their life transforms. So that transformation can take place in no time at all. One sentence can change a person's life. And I know that personally when I, I, you know, I love comedy. I listen to lots of comedy. And, you know, I've listened to points of view from comedians. that I've gone, ah, never thought about it like that. <laughs> and it's not my pride a little bit knowing that I fell for a certain trick. I've been able to change the way I'm thinking just from one sentence. I, I love it. Uh, and the, the theme that comes through uh, as well is just the, the knowing. I mean, the deep knowing that people really can change is, yeah. is, is so uh, yeah. important. I say this to some clients and it can sometimes seem a bit disingenuous, okay, when I'm a bit, you know, a little bit mean. Some people will be come in and go, Daniel, you've never worked with anybody with anxiety quite like myself. I'm going to be a bit of a tough case. And I go, number one, you have to get over this yourself. You're carrying on like you're something special, like your conditions, you know, the worst thing on the planet. If my walls had ears, believe me, you'd be shocked. Yeah, You're not that bloody special, love. And it sounds a bit nasty, but it's true. They're proud of being as they are. And that's because they're getting secondary gains, most likely. They get lots of attention off it. And I go, yeah, this is all secondary gains. You're getting lots of attention for your condition. Think you're a bit special. You're not. So that, first of all, if you don't want to get better, you want to continue with this because you're gaining too much out of it. You can stay as you are and I don't want to work with you. Very few people are in that position, you know, to that extent. Yeah. But some people are proud of their condition. Makes them that little bit special. I, th- I think that's very interesting. Uh, and uh, yeah, absolutely. Like very quickly remove any, kind of the secondary gain of attention right yeah. up front. Beautiful. But, but the important thing, Howard, is, is that I've already gone through the protocol a little bit. They know that I'm on their side already when I'm suggesting these things to them. And I'm doing it, you know, with a good smirk on my face. A little raised eyebrow, you know. They realise I'm on their side and I want to help them. I'm smirking. I'm going because I'm, and I admit my own fallibility, my own vulnerability. I know I'm a bit of a plonker as well. Everybody is. Yeah, you know? I, I remember when we last spoke. It's one of the things that I really liked about our conversation, and you know, this kind of this mantra, this kind of idea that everyone's a bit of a plonker. Everybody's an idiot. Yeah. You know, and I love people. I love humanity. But I loathe it at the same time because we're all idiots. <laughs> so I'm a very, uh, I sort of like joke with my clients. I go, I go, I'm a real grumpy bastard, you know. But mm. 
I'm aware of that, so it makes it almost ironic. I'm laughing at my own stupidity. That's when we're becoming mindful. That's when we're thinking accurately, when we can laugh at our own vulnerabilities. Because I use the example with a client, you know, when a balloon pops behind me, I jump out of my skin, I'm vulnerable. And I'm laughing at the fact that I'm vulnerable. I wouldn't want to be indifferent because that could have been a real explosion. So I'm happy. I'm thanking that part of who I am. But every single negative part of a person is because their unconscious mind is trying to protect them. Mm. And it's been going about it in the wrong way. So I've got to be make friends with that and take the piss out of it. It's a really ill-advised best friend as you're unconscious at times. Complete moron. Yeah. And, not, and, and we're all equal in that. There's nobody that bloody special. Okay. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed, Daniel, this has been so much fun. Um, and I hope the, the listeners have enjoyed it as much as I have. And uh, again, if they want to get in touch with you, just click on the links below and you'll be able to get straight through there. There's also uh, underneath uh, the episode a place if you want to make any comments uh, or share any thoughts about this episode, please do so. And I'm sure I'll be able to persuade Dan to, uh, Danny to come on and uh, interact with us all on the Rapid Change Works podcast episode two. Yeah. Try and be nice to me. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm a very sensitive soul, don't you know? <laughs> Daddy, thank you so much for spending some time with us today and uh, really appreciate it. Oh, the very best, Howard. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, why not share it with anyone you think might be interested? And even head over to iTunes to give us a glowing review. You'll find more about what's coming up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash rapidchangematters hyphen podcast. And, of course, you'll find all the links related to this episode, plus those upcoming live events that will help you hone those change work skills.